Hi, and welcome to the In the Cortex podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Paloma Garcia. And I am Danny Perricone. And we're the founders of In the Cortex, an online community with programs that show people the tools that they need to change their lives through brain reorganization. No medication, just movement. When you get your brain out of survival mode and regulate your nervous system, you start to live in the fun, logical part of the brain, the cortex. Subscribe today and learn how to live your best in the cortex life. And now on to today's episode. Let's start out with a quick cortex moment from one of our members. My name is Lisa. I'm 65 years old. Before brain work, one could describe me as a little too task-oriented, which led to anxiety over getting things done. This didn't allow for much spontaneity in my day. This also led to a tendency toward being passive-aggressive versus communicating in a direct way. I'd be secretly angry at my family members for not contributing to the tasks that were important to me. My cortex moments are as follows. Recently, I was invited to go to Colorado five days before the event. In the past, there was no way I could organize myself that quickly. This time, I just had no angst about it, and I just got into the car and drove. We saw old friends along the way, and it just all fell into place, and it was a fantastic trip. I also noticed that I'm a calmer listener. I'm more interested what they are saying versus waiting to interrupt and share my experience. I feel that I am more compassionate and in the moment during the conversation. I'm getting better at letting things go. I used to worry that things wouldn't get done. Now I feel like they will when they are supposed to, and I have released anxiety over it, which has led to a lighter vibe around the house, and it's a lot more fun. I'm growing into being rather than doing, especially with my grandkids. I can play without a time limit in my mind and really enjoy their natural curiosity and creativity. I also noticed that when playing pickleball, my mind has slowed down and I have time to think about my shots, where to place them, where to move my body, in anticipation of receiving their shot from my opponents. It's pretty cool. Today, we're going to talk about crawling and the importance of crawling at any age. But before we get started, we're going to go over some of our in the cortex terms. When we talk about the pawns, we're talking about that part of the brain that is wired to go into fight or flight. So it's kind of like that anxiety reactionary brain. When we talk about the midbrain, which is actually what we're talking about today on the pond, today's episode, we're talking about more of that organizational prioritization brain uh, that might maybe keeps us stuck in certain patterns of not being able to organize or prioritize things. When we talk about the primitive brain or the survival brain, we're talking about the whole structure of the brain stem that is designed to react and keep us alive. And that goes hand in hand when we talk about survival mode, which is the mode that our brain goes into when it's in fight or flight and it's starting to react rather than respond to the world. And it's trying to save us. It's basically trying to keep us alive. And our goal here is to create more compassion in the world and that we're all doing the best we can. So when we explain all these terms, it's really just to help you understand like the different parts and components of what we talk about in the cortex. And we're going to break it down to help you make sense more of what these different parts mean. But there's one more pillar that we talk about in the cortex, and it's the subconscious beliefs. It's the programming. It's the way you see the world and why. And so we really like to break that down and help you understand why is it they always do things that are showing that you don't love yourself? And, you know, we'll go deeper into that in other episodes. 
for today's episode, we are talking all about crawling in the midbrain. And I would, you know, this is a fun thing to say to people. We do this all the time. We always say, hey, I bet if you crawled on the floor on your hands and knees, we can give you a really good glimpse into what your life looks like. And most people are like, what? Exactly. They're very curious about it. And I think we talked about this in another episode too, where some people are like, cool, I'm going to go do it right now. And some people are like, what? I don't, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Like, this is weird. (laughs) So that also tells us a lot about your brain, by the way. (laughs) Oh, always. always. And so basically getting on your hands and knees is the main position a baby would assume from six to 12 months of life. And that is a very rough general estimate there on when you would be doing this sort of movement um, that is constantly changing and evolving for each person. But generally speaking, it's when a baby is crawling. And that's the first time they're defying gravity. And it's really a significant time in putting a filter, basically, is the best way to say it, in the brain. And it's basically allowing for the brain to stay focused. It's allowing for the brain to process information for what it is. It gives you that automatic function of being able to transition from one thing to the next, blocking out unimportant sensory stimuli, um, helps to set the eyes up with the brain. So literally when we get you on your hands and knees and we watch you crawl, and we'll ask you to do this in a minute, we look, we ask you to look at what are your hands doing? What are your feet doing? How's your overall body movement going? And all of those pieces come together. They give that expression of what's really happening in this part of the brain. And this is what's so cool is you could be any age from when you're starting to crawl as a baby to 100 years old. It doesn't matter because it just shows where did those automatic functions leave off and maybe where do you not have enough of them totally hooked up and connected as they're intended to. That's the whole point is that they're supposed to be automatic, right? So when we're crawling, we're developing that mid the midbrain. And if we don't crawl enough, then the midbrain doesn't fully develop. So these functions that we're going to talk about, we're going to give some more examples in a little bit, are not automatic. So it's like all of the brain has to do this job that should be automatic. And so you're just left with less bandwidth to really operate in your day-to-day life. And today we're going to talk about what uh crawling what to look at when you're crawling right so that's kind of the next piece of this let's see what your crawl looks like basically you're going to get down on your hands and knees just have somebody watch you or just kind of become aware of how you're moving if you're alone and if if somebody can make a video of of you even better right and so you're going to look at your hands you're going to look at your knees and your feet or feel them as you're moving and what are your hands doing If your hands, for example, are out to the side rather than your fingertips facing forward, this means that your eyes do not team with each other. So eye teaming means that the eyes are looking at the same point at the same time. If they're not teaming, then your eyes are looking at different points. It might be very small. You might not even be able to see this in the mirror, right? When you look at your eyes, but if they're not fully teaming, Reading is going to be really hard. Coordination is going to be really hard. A lot of people that have challenges like dyslexia or other reading visual challenges have eyes that are not teeming. So if your hands are out to the side, that means your your eyes are not teeming. Another thing to notice too is when they're not teeming and doing what they're supposed to do, then that's when the brain comes online. The cortex has to pick up the slack and then comes up with compensations. So oftentimes we see people close one eye, the eye that's not teeming yes. will get closed. Oftentimes we see kids that lay their head down on a desk 
and it looks like they're tired or sleeping, but they're not really tired or sleeping. They're just trying to compensate by not having to have both of their eyes looking at the paper because that is exhausting. Or you're someone who doesn't like to make eye contact or it's really painful to make eye contact. So you look down at the ground and this is our big piece of um, helping parents and other people understand when someone's looking away from you, they're actually paying better attention than when they're trying to make eye contact. So notice that never force the eye contact because then that's like, ah, now I see two of you or now it's really blurry and it's actually painful. And that I totally used to feel that feeling of like, I have to stare at somebody really hard. And then all I'm thinking about is trying to see them. And then I'm not listening to what they're saying. Yeah. You can't, because you're focusing so hard on making your eyes do something that's really hard for them to do naturally. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And then another one is when the hands are, when the hands are cupped, when you're crawling, I guess we say it cupped or like tented. So basically it's kind of like you're using your fingertip, okay. but your palm isn't really touching the, the floor. Usually what that means when you're crawling is that you might have sensory challenges. So once again, if you notice that you're crawling that way, do you have challenges with like tags in your shirt, maybe food textures, socks that are too tight, that kind of stuff. Uh, that's usually something that goes hand in hand with this part of the brain, because once again, it's a filter, right? So it should be able to help your brain not pay attention to that itchy tag or that tight sock or that shoe that's maybe the opposite, right? It's not tight enough. And if this is what's going on with your crawl, then that, that means that the brain, the midbrain is having to really, really work hard to do that, to filter that out. And you're not able to, and it really creates a challenge for you. Exactly. And remember, if you are listening right now and any of those things just hit home for you, please know that there's no shame or judgment here. We're just trying to educate that those are things that we get that people are experiencing and they are normal in today's world. It does not mean something is wrong with you. And that's the biggest part. And so many of us think that there's something wrong with us because I can't wear those socks because the line drives me crazy all day. And that's all I can focus on. So we're just here to help you understand that we get you and there's no judgment. There's no shame here. We can help support you through this because we were people who both were disturbed by yes. these things. And now we can go on living our lives without them sh being showstoppers. And now we can move on and we're like, Hey, that doesn't bother me. So the other part to look at when crawling are your feet. The feet are a really big indication as to what is going on with your focus. Anytime we have any person get into the crawling position and their feet are up in the air, we already know they have a really challenging time sitting still. It usually tracks, usually with the younger ones, but we always see, you know, even adults and it's really uncomfortable to crawl on your kneecaps. So it's not something that mm -hmm. you're actually trying to do. It's just, where is your brain wired in that space? And so what will happen over time as you crawl more, this is what's so cool about this work is that as you crawl more, all of a sudden your brain finds a more efficient pattern to move in. And that's what that whole six to 12 months of life is designed to do is to create that efficient power pattern to get from point A to point B in the room. It's really when a baby's crawling towards something. And when they first start out, it's a really you know, inefficient pattern. And then as they get better at it, they get really fast and then they can just move through. And then that also lines up with all the functions that they're gathering at the same time. So feet up in the air, feet can also be turned inward or the feet come outward. And mm -hmm. we're talking only about crawling right now, but there's something really important to address that primitive reflexes are overlapping this movement at the same time. So those are those automatic instinctual movements Paloma mentioned earlier, 
So oftentimes if you don't have a certain primitive reflex doing what it's supposed to do, or it went through the time frame it was supposed to go through, meaning you did specific movements that activated the reflex, you did enough of it until your brain was like, all right, cool, I'm done with that. Now it can lie dormant for when a real survival situation comes in play. And if it doesn't do enough of that, then it's going to stay in a a frozen pattern almost. And it's almost like your body can't move through to the next developmental stage. We'll come back to this in a second when I share an example with my son. Um, But that's another big one to look at. What are the feet doing? Then you also want to look at how the hands and knees are being, are coordinated or not coordinated, right? Are you moving the same side at the same time? Or do you have a cross lateral pattern going? That's going to tell us a lot about the left and right hemisphere connection that's going on in your brain. And like we said before, the the midbrain really does have a lot to do with helping create that left and right connection in our brain because we we need that, right? We need to be able to use both hemispheres at the same time very often. And we really also just look at the overall body. How is it moving? Is it stiff? Is the head looking forward? Is the is it are you bringing your head kind of lower, right? Are the shoulders like moving with a lot and wiggling and the hips wiggling a lot. Does it look like a uniform movement or is a little bit more scattered? Overall, that's also going to tell us a lot about the percentage and how developed the midbrain is. So as we look at different parts of the crawl, we can really help you understand what is getting in your way in your day-to-day life. So to go back to the story I briefly mentioned about my son, when he was born, we had a lot of other things that were going on. So it wasn't just like it was one thing that happened. There was a lot of me being first time mom and the stressors of, I really got caught up in the comparison of comparing my child to everybody else's. And I had this really big program in me that I had to have a superhuman child, like, because everyone's like, oh, Danny, you've been doing the brain work. Your son's going to be incredible at everything that he does. And I was like, okay, mission accepted. And, (laughs) but that was not natural nor normal. And I Googled everything and it was always, is it normal when? And so I had a ton of anxiety that came back on because remember your survival brain will come back on and come online when you are in the perceived space of thinking something is a true survival situation. So in order to get to that, well, lack of sleep is a huge one. That will help turn that survival brain on in two seconds because your brain is now like, "Uh uh-oh, I don't have all my functions where they need to be. Um, I haven't rested. I haven't gotten restorative sleep. So now I perceive everything as an attack. So I had that going on. And then I had challenges with breastfeeding. I mean, it was way harder than I ever imagined it being. And I always saw every mom just like, whatever, put the baby to the boob, boom, done, no big deal. It's so much more than that. (laughs) And there's so much more education out there that I did not seek because I didn't think it was going to be so hard. So anyways, I had some challenges in that. I was really hyper-focused on doing everything supernatural. So I got really caught up in things and I had a lot of anxiety and I passed that down to my son. And, you know, we all have our moments where we, we think we're doing what we need to do to help support the situation. But my brain again was in survival mode. So now we go to the time when my son was supposed to be crawling and he didn't get enough of a specific movement because he had a lip and a tongue tie and that fascia in the mouth threw off 
all of his entire body because it connects from the mouth all the way to the big toe. So if it's tight in the mouth, it's going to create tension in the whole body. So he wasn't fully able to extend and do certain reflex integration movements to help prepare him for crawling. So by the time he was ready to crawl, he had a leg out to the side. He also had his anxious mom who was like, what's going on? How come you're not crawling with both your knees down? This is so bad for business. Oh my gosh, no one's going to believe that I talk about crawling all day and every day because my own son wasn't crawling the correct way. And I have air quotes going on because, hey, we are all on a journey figuring this stuff out and there's no perfect in any of this. We're all so perfectly flawed and it's about embracing this and then doing something about it. So my son crawled with a kickstand crawl for his whole entire period of six or 12 months when he was supposed to be crawling with both knees down. The symmetrical tonic neck reflex was the big reflex that was stopping that from happening naturally, both knees being on the ground. So anyways, I then took me on the journey of learning about the emotional stuff. That's why we talk about the subconscious beliefs because that was what was driving my need to have a perfect baby. And that doesn't exist because why would I put that on a baby that's insane? Anyways, in hindsight, it's all making sense. But right now I'm like, okay, so I needed to work on the emotional piece of releasing my son to be his own human. And as soon as I did that, I kid you not, both of his knees came down and he started crawling. But by that time he was about 11 months old, 11 and a half months old. So he was ready to start walking soon. So now my son, who's seven years old, we have been going back and we bring the crawling into our everyday life. And it's amazing because now I use it as a baseline to see where his brain's at. I also Mm -hmm. homeschool him. So I get to see, oh, his feet are up in the air right now. Okay. That's interesting. He must be feeling some stressors with certain things. That's an indication his brain needs some more crawling. And the cool thing about neuroplasticity is once you give the brain what it needs, all of a sudden everything comes online. whole point of neuroplasticity is giving your brain what it needs to process the world for what it is. And we're in a world where we are living faster, bigger lives than we ever have before. So there's not as much of the rest and digest going on. And there's so much go, go, go. I mean, my son's got to get to soccer, got to go to school, got to go here, here, here. So he's like, whoa, my system needs more downtime. And so now that I I recognize that we know all these things, we give the brain the what it needs. We do our crawling. We do our brain work. I watch as his feet come down. As soon as his feet are dragging on the floor, okay, great. He's ready to go sit now. And that's always a really important piece. This is what we teach our educators who do our in-school program because now they can understand, oh, that child is not ready to sit down. Or for example, my son, we spent the first two years, kinder and first grade, just being able to sit at a desk and not melt down when it was time to start reading and writing because that was hard for him. And now that he's seven years old, okay, now let's focus on the academic part. So this is where we really want to help educate and break the model of like what is supposed to be done at a certain time frame, because every system is so different, but the brain in itself and where it's programmed and where it's um, connected is really going to help people understand what each system is needing and that these movements tangibly, you can see them in front of your face. If your hands are out to the side, reading is going to be hard. If your feet are up in the air, don't expect that person to sit still because their brain's like, how? I don't know how. It's not wired to do so. Also, something that I wanted to mention is the fact that we think that 
everybody's brain should be able to do everything in the same way. Like, no, Mm -hmm. some people are just more wired for movement, for example. Mm -hmm. Right. And they're always going to be so much better at like Axel. That's, that's him. Yeah. Yeah. So he's so coordinated. So he's like the most coordinated child I've ever seen. The movements he does, the way he jumps on things and he's like climbing a tree, but then he's running over there, but then he's like doing like a backflip in the pool. I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. But of course his brain is more wired toward that and not as wired toward reading and writing. So Mm -hmm. it's normal that it's going to be a little bit harder for him if that's Mm -hmm. not his predisposition, so to speak, right? Because we all have certain things that are just naturally our brain is going to gravitate more toward, right? And so that's also a big thing when it comes to schools and organizations, et cetera, is we have to understand that not everybody's going to process every single thing in the same way. And that's where learning styles really come in. Right. And that's something we talk about so much with our teachers and, and our homeschool parents as well that are members is you have to find what that brain is going to need when learning certain types of information. Right. In general, we want kids to be motivated by stuff that they're already interested in. That's just, you know, that, that just makes sense. Right. So let's talk now about some challenges that are associated with an underdeveloped midbrain and what you can do about it. That's the number one thing. I will start with saying the number one thing you can do about it is crawl. That's always going to be our thing because brain reorganization is our passion. We've seen it work time and time and time and time and time and time again. But let's talk about that now. So for example, procrastination, that's a really common challenge for people with an underdeveloped midbrain. Like me, for example, because your brain just has so much stimuli coming in and doesn't know, doesn't have that filter, right? Calibrated. So it does not know how to organize in order to get things done within the right time, right? Whatever, within the timeline that you've set for yourself, whether it's a project or something you want to do or whatever deadline is coming up. So your brain goes into that fight or flight mode and guess what? Procrastination is flight to the max, mm-hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm just not going to deal with it until I have no other choice. Mm -hmm. I have spent so much time in like college and even my grad Mm -hmm. program, like just up until 5 a.m., like writing that paper because you're like, "Ah," you know, (laughs) or like 11.59 and you have to turn it in. You're like, I mean, genuinely, it's happened so many times. Yeah. And there's something that goes in your brain where you're like, oh yeah, like I'm just going to start it at 11 PM and I know it's yes. due at 6 AM, but I know I'll have enough time to get it done. And then you're doing it. And you're like, why did I do this to myself? Like, why am I stressing myself out? And it could have been so much better had I done it the week before and had time to reread it 100%. and proof it every time. Yes, 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 yes. But that's that flight mode. And yes. so a good thing to do, for example, if you're somebody who knows that you have a tendency to procrastinate is to find that motivation Find what's going to really, really, really get you going and attach it to that thing that you've been avoiding, right? And this is really much simpler to do with kids because you can just say, hey, when you do this, you're going to get this. And that's great because they're usually super motivated by something, right? Kids usually have like a one thing that they're really interested in, whether you have like a point system going in your house or it's just a kid that really loves to do a certain activity or whatever. But as an adult, you can also say, okay, I really love going to the movies and there's this movie I really, really, really want to see. I'm not going to watch it until I'm done with this one project. And so that way you're motivating yourself because you're tying it to that reward. And that'll work as best as your brain is wired to do that. Because 
we will all find excuses to not get something done if we don't have that intrinsically within us. So that's why Paloma said the number one thing to do is your brain work because we're obsessed. We know it works. And, but if you're not ready to do that yet, you know, you can try that tip, but you're only going to get so far. And we don't want to sound like we're negative in that space, but we both lived it. We both said, okay, this time I'm doing it different. How many times do people set up a New Year's resolution and it lasts mm-hmm. literally a week, right? Or so many times that people say, oh, I'm going to do the brain exercise, the brain work. And then they get through the first week. They're like, oh, not enough has changed. It's because we are so connected to this instant gratifying world that we live in today. And it's a little terrifying to know that all of us humans at our fingertips could have anything. And really, if anything is really worth it, it takes time and energy to put into. So that's why, and not to do too much about our program, but we have that plugged in. We know that you need that support to keep going and to motivate you. So we have tons of support within the program of our accountability group. We have a Facebook group. We have all these different things that keep you going. Um, But ultimately, it really comes down. We're speaking to the people who really want change. And that's why when Paloma brought this up, she was like, we tell people what we do. We tell them by getting on the floor and crawling. You can just see it in their face if they're like, okay, this is for me. Or (laughs) right, I'm out of here. We already know it's not for absolutely everybody. But unfortunately, it comes to a point sometimes where people have tried everything and then they come to us after that. We wish they would come before, but that's okay because everybody's on their own journey and we respect that. And we are just so happy. I mean, we love our members. We're obsessed with them. Another thing that is huge with the midbrain when the midbrain is underdeveloped is impulse control. So being for me, I mean, I'm giving you the adult um, kind of symptoms because I can't really remember about this when I was a kid, but I could not, and I talked about this last episode, I think too, walk into a store and not buy 40,000 things. Like if it's a 7-Eleven, I'm buying snacks, I'm buying gum, I'm buying a water bottle, I'm buying a soda for my friend. I'm buying like the most random things that are, I'm just going to end up never eating them or never using them. If I walk into a Starbucks, I'm going to walk out with like a drink and a water bottle and a recyclable cup and a muffin. And, you know, I just can't, it it was really hard for me. That was one of the biggest things that was hard for me or just any sort of, uh, if I wanted to, if somebody said something and I wanted to really respond immediately, I had to go for it right immediately Mm -hmm. through things. And then responding was really, really hard for me. And I got in a little bit of some awkward situations sometimes, especially with the social part of like, you know, just kind of going for it. And that's a huge one because again, your midbrain is that filter and it's giving you that, that pause to say, that's not important right now. You don't have to answer that right now. You don't have to respond to that email immediately. You don't have to buy every single thing you've ever seen in your life. Right. That's one thing. And that also kind of goes with that all or nothing thinking, because that's another, which is another challenge that is related to an underdeveloped midbrain is you're like, I have to do everything all the time or I'm doing nothing. Right. And so that makes a lot of things really hard because you think everything that goes hand in hand with that perfectionism. You think everything has to be 100% perfect a hundred percent of the time, or it's just nothing. Right. So for me, implementing new habits, changing anything about my routine, anything new was really, really, really hard to implement because it had to be perfect or I wasn't going to do it. And the second I didn't do one piece of my new routine, of my new habit, my new whatever, I would just stop. 
completely yeah. for months. And then and, yeah. have to find the motive. It, it all goes hand in hand, right? Because then you yeah. have to find the motivation to start again because you procrastinate, procrastinate, procrastinate. Then that also goes into transitions being really hard because it takes being able to transition from one activity to the next in order to start to implement new things into your life, right? Because you get stuck. And that's the biggest thing is you get stuck in these patterns that you've been in for so long because the neurological connection is so, so, so strong. And it's just easier to just go with you, what you've always been doing. So much. And honestly, so the main thing here is that dopamine and serotonin production that comes from this part of the brain. If you're not getting enough of it, that's why you're seeking out those extra things to go give you that boost. Like all, all kids want that new toy just for like a hot second, right? Just to give them that boost of thinking they're going to feel better in having it. And then it wears off. And now we have toys scattered throughout the house because nothing's ever enough to really fulfill that you know, boost of what you need from the chemical standpoint. And then that's also too tapping into your subconscious beliefs, right? So if you were the all or nothing thinker, maybe your parents told you one time when you were six years old, like, oh, is that the best you can do? And then that's stuck in your head. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, then I'm not even going to try if I can't even succeed. And that's what we see so many times, right? Kids just shut down because they're like, I'm just going to get criticized anyway. So what's the point of trying? Or the opposite, which is what happened with me, where it was like, you're so smart. You're so great at everything. Every single thing you're ever going to do is going to be so easy for you because you are just amazing in every single way. And so whenever something was hard for me, I'd be like, but bye. I'm not going to, I can't fail. I'm perfect. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And that actually. Right. And that's honestly too, there's that book called Nurture Shock and it talks about kids who are just given too much uh, just positive reinforcement about just generalization of like being good. And then they never want to actually try and effort their way through things because they're like, I'm just smart. I don't need to work that hard. If this is hard, then it's not for me. Um, And so there's a lot of there's so much overlap. We talk about primitive reflexes, pawns, midbrain, that's the creeping, the crawling, and then the subconscious belief. So what we do it in the cortex is help you break down where that's coming from. So then you know exactly how to work yourself through it. But we always say you have to be out of that survival state before you can even look at the emotional stuff driving you. And this is where um, other things that come from the midbrain, the prioritization stuff, Wait, my favorite one, before I go into prioritization, my favorite one that I think we can all relate to, we've all done it at one point in our lives. Just think about it when you say, huh, or what, after somebody just says something, you know exactly what that person just said. We've all done this. We're just buying ourselves a little bit more time to process the information. Tune into the next time you hear that. There's always that person who does it all the time. And that's something that you just sit there and pause don't actually answer or repeat yourself. Just let them sit there and process it. And then they'll come on like, oh yeah, that's what I thought it was or whatever. The difficulty prioritizing certain tasks. like, And then this also carries over into so many times we have so many people who get so amped and ready, like I'm ready for change. And then they start three different things at once. Yes, and then they me. go, well, I don't know what actually 
like what actually helped me. So I'm just going to give up on doing all three of them. So we start so many projects. We never finish them, follow them through because we can't prioritize. We always over, I did this. This was my self-sabotage. I would put too much on my plate at once. I was like humanly possible. And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm so tired or why I can't get anything <laughs> done. Oh, yeah. I don't know. It's maybe because I just adopted a horse and I didn't even have like the means or ability to handle a horse. And we're sitting here going, why are you doing that? That was very recent where I was like, why do I have a thoroughbred? This is actually really comical. It's actually not. She now has a really wonderful home. But um, it was that moment of like, why do I keep putting more things onto my plate? The good news is that Paloma and I are in the trenches. We are doing all the daily work with our members. I was just going to say that. We are committing our days and noticing, wow, we haven't intentionally done the brain work as much as we are right now. Now that we've been doing it more intentional for the past five weeks, we're like, oh my gosh, all of these things just got easier for us. We're like, what about the systems for in the cortex? Like all the things we're putting them in place, we're doing the things and we're seeing that life is now getting easier. The weight is being lifted off of us. So we have more bandwidth and we have the ability to just get through our day without completely freaking out and just falling apart. And I was more of that. That's just to show that everybody needs to just keep doing this. Like it's not gonna, your challenges don't define you, but they're also not always going to go away 100%, right? Like this is some stuff, like I said in the beginning, you're, some people are just wired in a certain way. And so you might be wired more toward anxiety, wired more toward procrastination, wired more toward whatever. And sometimes it's just part of what your life is going to keep throwing at you, right? And you need to also have that moment of, and this goes into the all or nothing thinking a little bit is like being okay with like sometimes off the wagon, so to speak, right? It's okay. Sometimes I'm not doing my brain work and it's fine. And it's not the end of the world. And we talk about this all the time. So just kind of to exemplify that we do this and like we live this life and we're also still having a lot of stuff that happens in our lives. It's just not debilitating anymore. That's mm-hmm. the, that's the, the, the biggest change that we've noticed is that even when we do have these challenges, it's not going to stop everything in our track and in, in our tracks, right? It's not going to put us back into that intense survival mode where we can't do anything else. Right. And that's honestly the best way to look at life because life doesn't stop happening. Life just gets like, and as we get older, we notice we have more demands being put on us, more things that we're expected to do. And this is where a lot of people, you know, might say, oh, I'm having a midlife crisis, right? But it's actually just like your, your compensations are running out. Like you just cannot keep up with what's happening anymore. So you just kind of like fall off completely, go off the handle and everyone's like, whoa, what happened to that? And we see it as like, well, your brain just couldn't keep up anymore. And we all have a point where we eventually break if we have a disorganized brain. And so, and we have only met two people in our 13 years of doing this that have totally developed well, I've met two. I, I one oh, one was a little boy before we, we were together and he was like 13 and he got on the floor and crept like I've never seen a creeper go. And I was like, well, <laughs> it does exist to totally develop brain. So that's very good news. And then we met someone more recently in Australia who were like, yep, that's an organized brain. So there are organized brains out there. Yes. We don't talk to them because they're not they're looking not for our help. <laughs> yeah. We are talking to the people who are like, wow, life's harder than it needs to. And turns out the majority of us are in that category. We all are working harder than we need to. And there is relief. There is something you can do about it. And my favorite part about it is that you can do it at home. You don't have to go to see anybody else. 
It's a completely affordable option. We were just talking about this in office hours. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be great to go to chiropractors, acupuncturists, all you know, all the amazing things that are out there, but it costs thousands of dollars. And that's the part that stops a lot of people, right? They're like, well, I can't afford to constantly keep seeing somebody. And we're telling you, no, you have all the tools that you need within you. So if we're you're telling you how to use them, you have the tools. Exactly. And we're just sharing you the simple ways to do it. And guess what? You have to keep doing it to keep your system regulated. And But it's manageable. And it's so easy. And even my four-year-old's like, oh, I'm going to go do my creeping. So it's possible. Um, and if you are wanting to find out what's going on with your crawl, because you're like, okay, I took a video. This isn't really making sense because it does take some trained professional to look at it and kind of give you a breakdown of what's happening. Tag us. To tag us in a video of you crawling on social media. We'd love to get these videos because then we can stitch your video and give you a little bit of a breakdown of what it means for your brain and what your percentage of development is. Instagram in the cortex underscore US. TikTok in underscore the underscore cortex. Facebook in the cortex US. Website in the cortex.com. Email hello at in the cortex.com. Boom. Okay. And if you want to sign up, which you probably should. Use promo code Brainiac to get $10 off your first payment of our program. And please reach out to us. Send us all of your questions. We love getting people's questions from the podcast. We have so many ideas for upcoming episodes and we just want to hear more from you. So thanks for being here and goodbye. 